So if you don't mind, we're going to change things up a little bit today. I'm going to teach first, and I'm trusting there'll be time afterward for us to share a little bit at our tables. I wonder if you would all just say with me, the Hebrew way to say Hosanna is Hoshiana, Hoshiana, and that means save us please, na is short for please, Hoshiana, save us please. And I'm just thinking, you know, that's what they were saying as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. They were saying, save us, please, from the Romans. And I think it would just be good if we say, Hoshiana, save us, please, from the destruction that's happening in our nation. Save us, Lord. So can, you, can we just say that together? Hoshiana. Say it again. Hoshiana. Let's pray. Lord, would you save our nation? from this downward spiral. Thank you for the revivals that are breaking out in various places, those that are continuing, those that are spreading. Even as we just sang, Lord, we need revival. And so we say, Hoshiana, Adonai, come and save us. We know politics won't save us. We know no man, no administration can save us. We need the Savior, the Messiah, the King of Kings to step into our nation and bring about salvation. So that's what we pray for today. Lord, we agree in prayer for that, that this nation will be called by your name, that we will be under the fear of God, and you will use us to again send missionaries all over the world to bring the gospel of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So during the last week of Yeshua, I'll probably say Jesus and Yeshua back and forth. We just, as many of us, we went to the, uh, the promise of Passover last night in Glen Rose, and they kind of alternated too. Sometimes they'd say Yeshua, and sometimes they'd say Jesus. And uh, as you know, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. That's what he was called the whole time he was on earth. That's what the Messianic believers call him still today, Yeshua. So during his last week of ministry, his last week of life, he fulfilled numerous messianic prophecies. We know that the last 24 hours between his trial, uh, the brutality of his crucifixion, his scourging, and, his, and all that he went through for 24 hours, he fulfilled 29 prophecies in the Old Testament that no man could do. Only God could have done that, to bring these 29 prophecies together that he fulfilled like that. We're not really going to look at those today. We're going to look at previous prophecies that he fulfilled where he proclaimed to be the Messiah beginning from yesterday. Yesterday on the Hebrew calendar was the first of Nisan. So I'm going to talk, I'll be bringing that into what I share today. But on the first of Nisan, that was Palm Sunday back then. Okay, the day of the Lamb when the Lamb came into the temple of God, rode down the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So let's turn to Matthew 21. That'll be our main text. <clears throat> We're going to kind of be in a various places of the Bible today. I hope you can turn quickly. I hope you know your scriptures well enough to flip around with me. Matthew 21, 1 through 6 is where we'll start. Now when they drew near to, Jeth to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says, to you, you sh says anything to you, you shall say, 
The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion, Zion is is kind of a nickname for Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Now turn two books back to Zechariah chapter 9. I want us to read that prophetic scripture that Jesus fulfilled when he rode in on the donkey. Zechariah 9. Zechariah is behind Malachi, the last book in the Old Covenant. So Zechariah 9 verse 9. says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, that means righteous, having salvation, lowly, humble, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, it's significant that they didn't actually say your Messiah is coming to you. Zechariah prophesied your king is coming to you. This is 500 years before Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Let's go back to Matthew 21. So in the ancient Near East, a king entered cities riding on a war horse. He was showing his military power, especially to newly conquered cities where his rule might have been questioned or rejected. But when a good king, loved by the people, entered his capital city, he would ride in on a donkey, peacefully, humbly. The king of the Jews, Jesus, came to his capital city, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. So he fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. And then Matthew 21 in verse 7 says, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their garments on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, Hoshiana, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So a king's subjects would honor and worship him by providing a carpet him to ride on so that's what they were doing they were putting their clothes down they were cutting branches down providing a carpet for the king to ride into the city on i think it's significant that it was a multitude of people you know i didn't really notice that to this week i always kind of saw a crowd in my mind like maybe 50 70 people but it says a multitude of people were with him other times when it reflects on a multitude it can be in the hundreds or thousands There's a lot of people going before him, going behind him, shouting out to him, worshiping him, laying things on the road, proclaiming him really as the Messiah. And he was proclaiming himself as the Messiah because he was doing what the Messiah was to do, to ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. So they believed he was the Messiah. They shouted Hosanna to the son of David. That was a term that was for the Messiah. They thought he had come to rescue them, to free them from Roman occupation, not to save their souls from redemption. They were looking for a political Messiah, one who would annihilate the Romans with a Jewish liberation force and then would establish his Jewish kingdom that would never be weakened and never be overthrown. That's the Messiah they were looking for. No wonder they didn't recognize him, right? 
They expected the Messiah to restore to them their fortunes and their liberties that were taken by the Romans. They believed his kingdom would surpass King David's kingdom, which was a thousand years before, that the Messiah would surpass his kingdom in wealth and power and never be overthrown. So when the crowd, these multitudes, saw Jesus, the one who had healed hundreds and hundreds of people, remember he healed all the people at certain seasons of time. In Capernaum they brought all the people to him from surrounding villages. He was healing people before he gave the Sermon on the Mount. For three years he was healing people, so hundreds of people. He worked many miracles. He freed many from demons. They saw that, and when they saw him right into Jerusalem on the donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9, verse 9, they shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Save us, Son of David, Messiah! Rescue us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And name means essence, power, or nature. Blessed is he who comes in the nature of the Lord. He comes in the power of the Lord. So this was major, and it's interesting that if we just read on, verse 10, it says, When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So here's a multitude of people coming in. They see Jesus on a donkey, so a little bit above the others, and they say, Who is this? Who is this? When it says the city was moved, it's the same word used for an earthquake. So it wasn't just that they were sort of moved emotionally. There was actually a quaking going on, all these people shouting at the same time. All these people worshiping at the same time. All this movement into Jerusalem, which was not that big of a city back then. And so the whole city was saying, who is this? On the eve of Passover, now Passover this week will start on Wednesday. The the eve of Passover will be be Wednesday. So on the eve of Passover, Psalm 118 was always recited as they walked to the temple and while they were in the temple, especially while the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. So the words from Psalm 18 prophetically speak of Jesus as the chief cornerstone and the source of salvation. Let's flip over there. We're going to read some of these verses. Psalm 118. When we realize that the scriptures are all about Jesus, it just makes so much sense how everything fits together. So Psalm 118, starting in verse 22 and 23, says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The builders, the religious builders, were the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders. They rejected Jesus, and yet he became the chief cornerstone of salvation and of the kingdom of God. Jesus quoted this about himself in Matthew 21, 42. We're not going to go there, but you can make a reference to that if you'd like. Let's read on. Verse 24 says, This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, we can say that verse every day because every day the Lord's made that day. It's a day of mercy. It's a day of grace. So we can quote that any time, but technically this is a verse about the Messiah who was to come. This is the day of salvation. 
the day when the builders rejected the Messiah and yet he became the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day of salvation and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Reading on verse 25, save now, Hoshiana, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Prosperity in scripture does not often mean uh, wealth. It most of the time means wisdom or harmony or peace. And in this situation, it more means that. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So these verses were fulfilled when the crowds called out on Palm Sunday, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Hoshiana Adonai. Send now prosperity. Save us now from Rome. Return our fortunes and our freedoms to us. Blessed is he who comes in the name, the nature, the character, the reputation of the Lord. Right, let's go back to Matthew 21. <clears throat> Back verse 10, all the city was moved and shaken and said, Who is this? Verse 11, the multitude said, This is Jesus. This is Yeshua, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So as Jesus and the multitudes entered, the city was shaken. His dramatic arrival caused a great commotion. And in verse 12, it says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. So the money changers and the other merchants were dishonoring God's house, the temple, they were dishonest in their transactions with the people. They were taking the sacrificial animals that the people brought. They were looking them over and saying they were unworthy. They were putting them aside and then trying to sell them worthy sacrificial animals that cost more than they should have cost. So basically what they were, what they were doing, it was greedy men making money off of what was holy in a holy place. They were ripping off the people, not allowing them to worship God. They were cheating God of the worship that he deserved. And Jesus responded by going in there in holy anger. I've heard people say, well, Jesus was angry. I can be angry. He had holy anger. He respected and honored the house of his father. He saw they had turned it in to a circus and they were cheating all the people. They were being greedy. They were turning a holy place into a wild place. And he went in and just turned the tables over, chased them out. And he said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. In other versions, like in Mark eleven seventeen, it says, for all nations. All nations can come pray here. And this is a prayer, house of prayer for all nations. Why is that significant to us? Because we are the temple of the living God now that we are born again. He lives within us. We individually should be a house of prayer for all nations. So it's natural that we would have a burden for the nations. It's natural that we would pray, Lord, send out labors into all your harvest fields in all the nations because we are a house of prayer. <clears throat> they had made the house of prayer into a house of fraud, greed, and theft, 
And Jesus said they made it a den of thieves. Now they knew the scriptures. And they knew what he was referring to. It's found in Jeremiah 7, verse 11. So let's turn there. Jeremiah 7, 11. This is what he was quoting to them. This is what he was accusing them of. <clears throat> Jeremiah 7, 11. Has this house which is called by my, <coughs> sorry, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. <coughs> and so when he was accusing them of this, they knew he was also accusing them of verses 9 and 10. Let's read that. Will you steal? Of course, they were stealing, right? Will you murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations? In other words, it doesn't matter that we do these abominations. We can still come into the house of God. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. <clears throat> So to us, I want to say, are we guilty of any of this? Because if we are a house of prayer for all nations, we need to make sure there is no sin like this in our lives that would prevent us from having fervent, effectual prayers before the Lord. We don't want to come into his house and he says, you've done all these abominations. Are you going to come stand before me in my house, in my holy place? Are you going to kneel before me in your home? your home devotional area? Are you going to come worship at Highland, at any other place? Lift your hands and worship me if you're guilty of any of these. So maybe you don't steal things, but do you steal someone's reputation with slander? Do you steal someone's peace by your strife? Do you steal someone's hope by your negative talk? Do you steal someone's faith by your cynicism? Do you murder? Do you kill faith? Do you murder hope? Do you murder relationships by not working to reconcile them? By causing offense? Do you swear falsely? Or do you speak with integrity? Do you walk with integrity? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Do you walk after other gods? Any other god? Greed, materialism, food, Social networking, is there any other God? Relationships of any kind, spouses, children, grandchildren, siblings. Is there anything in your temple that God would call a false God? You know, this week is, is one of the feasts of the Lord, starting with Passover. This is the first feast of the year. The biblical feasts are actually called the feasts of the Lord. They're not really called the Jewish feasts. That's just what people call them. In scripture, they're called the feasts of the Lord. Do we need to keep them? We don't have to keep them. We can keep them, and it's a blessing if we do. And what's really a blessing for us is if we take advantage of a feast of the Lord to press into the Lord. And this particular feast, Passover, is all about Jesus shedding his blood for our sin. It's all about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth for all the sins of mankind. And we want to make sure that we are engaging with that. And one of the ways we can do it is to just go before the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything in my house, my house of prayer, 
my temple? Is there any gossip or slander? Is there any negativism? Is there any complaining? Is there any strife in my key relationships? Lord, is there anything in my house that would make my prayers ineffective? Husbands, are you honoring your wives? Because if you're not, your prayers are ineffective. Wives, are you respecting your husbands? This is all part of being a house of prayer, that we walk in holiness and purity before the Lord. And at Passover, when all the Jews are searching their hearts, when they are trying to make amends for their sins, when they are trying to be reconciled in their relationships, how much more should we? We can do it any day of the year. But in seasons of the Feast of the Lord, there's an extra opportunity to connect with God. I can't explain it. I just know it's true. So take advantage of this opportunity. We are in a key week. It started yesterday with Palm Sunday, the Day of the Lamb, which I'll start talking about now. It's going to move through with the eve of Passover, Passover Day. It's going to move on into Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday. From Passover on for a whole week is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's when the Jews search all the leaven in their house and the leaven in their lives. They get all sin out. Anything that would, God would be offended by, they get it all out. Let's do that too. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. <clears throat> okay, now let's turn to Exodus 12. We're going to start talking about the, the uh, day of the Lamb. Exodus 12. You won't actually see that phrase. But you will see the explanation behind it. Exodus 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, that's the month of Nisan, shall be your beginning of month. So actually, the Hebrew New Year began yesterday. The Jewish New Year is Rosh Hashanah. It's in the fall. But the Hebrew New Year, the biblical New Year, began yesterday. <clears throat> it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, the tenth of Nisan, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Okay, so the first month of the year is the Hebrew month of Nisan. On the 10th of Nisan, they were to take a lamb into their households. For a few days, they examined the lamb for blemishes, for imperfections. This day is called the day of the lamb. If the lamb had no blemishes, it would be sacrificed on the 14th day of Nisan, which is Passover. <clears throat> it was the 10th of Nisan when Jesus rode the, into Jerusalem on the donkey. He came into the temple on the day of the Lamb. He went into his father's house. While he's coming into Jerusalem, the Jews in Israel were taking sacrificial lambs into their own homes to inspect them. And God was taking his perfect lamb into his house, the temple, to be inspected. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem to present himself as the Passover lamb. 
He had to be inspected so they could see he was without blemish and he was perfect. So for the next few days, he was in and out of the temple. He was teaching, being inspected and challenged and tested by the scribes and Pharisees. They questioned him about his authority to overturn the tables in the temple. They asked him about paying taxes to Caesar. They talked about marriage in heaven, the greatest commandment and more. And then on the 13th of Nisan, after Jesus and his disciples ate the Passover meal, they went to the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane. Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and mocked. The perfect lamb was still being inspected through all of that. How was he going to react? The religious leaders took him to Pilate, who questioned him before sending him to Herod. Herod questioned him while the chief priests and the scribes accused him. Herod mocked Jesus and sent him back to Pilate. And now turn with me to Luke 23. Luke 23, 13 to 15. This is another account of the triumphal entry. Has a few other things about it we want to... No, well, it's not. I'm sorry. That'll be the next passage. This is uh, Luke 23, 12. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for before that, they had been at enmity with each other. Isn't it interesting? Before Jesus even died, he was helping people reconcile. Then Pilate, when he called together the chief priest, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You've brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him, having inspected him, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing worthy of death is done of him. That means Jesus passed the test of Herod and Pilate. They were the last ones to examine Jesus. He had already been uh, inspected by the chief priests and the scribes. All accusations against him were false. Finally, he was declared innocent by Pilate and Herod, the highest officials in the region. He was proven to be a spotless lamb without blemish and worthy of being sacrificed for sin. So now let's read another account. Go to Luke 19, another account of the triumphal entry. <clears throat> Luke 19, 13. I'm not, it's not 13, 37. Luke 19, 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent... The stones would immediately cry out. And now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
So Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He loved Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He loved the people of Jerusalem. They had not recognized that he came to bring them peace. They did not receive him as the Messiah. And while weeping, he prophesied the destruction of the city. They had missed their opportunity to repent, and eventually the city and its people were destroyed, which happened about 40 years later in 70 AD, when all the stones of the temple were fully flattened. We must not miss the time of our visitation. The things that make for our peace later might be hidden from our eyes if we miss our time of visitation. God's visiting us right now with outpourings all around in Waco, Baylor's campus. Remember the guy that got healed with the knee? They took off the knee brace and threw away his crutches and he's been playing sports since then. He's very active, he totally healed with his knee. <clears throat> Not only did his friend get saved that night when he got healed, now his whole dorm wing has gotten saved. <clears throat> There's another documented healing we just got word of yesterday. A girl with scoliosis fully healed. They've got this, the x-rays from both before and after to prove that she was healed. So healings are continuing to happen. Salvations are continuing to happen. We are still in an outpouring season. There are at least 36 campuses are involved in an outpouring right now many cities if we miss this opportunity to turn fully to him who is our peace the next time he comes to america may be in judgment many of us believe we're already in partial judgment right now but this is a season when we can repent and we must repent that's our only hope for the lord to respond to us and to bring peace rather than destruction when Jesus comes a second time to Jerusalem, he will not ride in on a donkey. He'll ride a white horse majestically as a king to judge and to rule. And I'd like us to read that in Revelation 19. We're going to close with this. Revelation 19. We've talked about the past 2,000 years ago. Now we're going to talk about the future, which is probably much sooner. Much, much sooner. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war so he's not coming in peace he's coming to make war his eyes were like a flame of fire on his head were many crowns that speaks of many victories he had a name written which no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. So that's who he is today, seated at the right hand of the Father on high. That's how he's going to come back. And if we're still here, we'll see that happen from the earth. If we've already gone to heaven, we'll be part of those who come with him. Amen. Either way, it's going to be glorious, right? So let's not miss this time of our visitation by God's Holy Spirit. We, windows of opportunity are only open for a short time. 
they're not open for a prolonged time forever and ever it's a short time Jesus had, gave a window of opportunity for repentance in Israel in his season on earth. There's a, there's a window of opportunity for repentance right now. That means we want to repent any worldliness, any pride, any hypocrisy in our lives. We also want to pray that others will repent. Let's continue to pray that there's repentance in our land, repentance in our city. As believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned we need to be a house of prayer for all nations. Let's remove anything in our lives, any weight that would weigh us down, shame, guilt, distractions. Let's get rid of any sin that would trip us up. Let's discipline ourselves to be houses of prayer. It's a perfect week for seeking God, for seeking reconciliation in relationships. This is a holy convocation to the Lord. That's what Passover is. It's a holy convocation to the Lord. Let's not treat it as just another day. Let's have special times with the Lord all this week. Significant week on the biblical calendar, which is our calendar. Okay, I'm going to pray quickly. And then you have five minutes, I'm sorry, only five minutes to share quickly at your tables. Make sure you know everybody. Probably only a few of you can share. Keep it brief so as many as can will have a chance. Lord, we thank you for the word of God that it is true that's living and active, that it penetrates our hearts, it aligns our minds. Jesus, I pray that what we've heard today will become living and active within us. We receive your word with humble hearts. Would you engraft it into our lives? Would you cause it to bear fruit? Lord, I pray that this week will be significant for each one of us, for our family members, for our friends. Lord, keep before us the need for our own personal revivals but also the need for us to pray for your continued revival in this land. In Jesus' name, amen.